It's, uh, it's good to be here with you all. I, uh, as as uh, Rob was talking there, I thought about probably 17 or 18 jokes that I was going to try to crack when I got up here. And um, the one that uh, stood out the most was if you need to raise the camera a little bit for like to get the, the angles. We, uh, yeah, I don't, sorry, sorry. We, uh, I, you guys maybe have noticed this, but we, uh, whenever we send out videos of, of like announcements, hey, this is happening, that's happening, and uh, Dr. Plummer and I are standing <laughs> beside each other. Almost every time we do one of those videos, we make the, the joke that it's representative of our uh, body of literature, right? Old Testament versus the New Testament. So, um, so I, I'm just trying to, trying to come in strong there. So... Um, it really is a joy to, to be with you all here. Those of you who were in the Hebrew review class this week will never be able to take me seriously again, and uh, I'm okay with that. Um, I want you all to know that you are an encouragement to us. Uh, I was able to voice this to my class because I was in there with them, but um, you know, I, I hope that what we do encourages you to some degree, but I want you to know that you're an encouragement to us as well. Uh, Rob and I have, have mentioned a couple of times just in, in passing this week and then even today, um, what a joy it is to see you all um, with a desire to stay in the biblical languages. Um, now, whether you're doing that or not right now, <laughs> I don't know, but, but that you're here is at least somewhat indicative of your desire to stay in the biblical languages, which I would argue and am going to argue is probably indicative of a desire to know the Lord and love the Lord by diving into his scriptures. And again, it's, it's something that is weighty, and uh, we can joke and we can have fun and we can goof about it, and we do, but we are dealing with the word of God, and it matters. Uh, and, uh, and so it, you, just, you are a joy to us, and, and I want to say thank you for being here. The overall goal of this conference, I think, is, is multifaceted, and, and you guys know some of this, but some of the folks here, you, you're wanting an academic kind of conference where you can rub shoulders with folks who are digging into Greek verbal aspect and the I before E except after C or is sounded like A or is a neighbor or way, Hebrew rules that I like to give to you. You're, you're wanting to do that level. There's, there's others of you who maybe you're on the other end of the spectrum. You're here because you want to get started learning the biblical languages or you've had one or maybe two semesters and you want to keep going. And, and I hope that this conference will serve you well also. My guess, however, is that the majority of folks who are here, you're here because you want to keep the biblical languages. Whether it's you've been in it a lot or you've been in it a little, you're here because you want to keep it and you need a little... A uh, dose of caffeine or something to, to keep you going. Uh, maybe you took Hebrew 35 years ago, and now you want to revive the ability to read, God, read God's Word in the original languages, and we want this conference to serve you also. But no matter where you fall on that spectrum, I bet that nearly all of you are here because you have some desire to keep up your biblical languages, to dig deeper into God's Word, to know the Lord better through His Word, to love Him to walk in his ways, to serve him, and to be conformed into the image of his son. Uh, some of that language I've, I've gotten from a good friend, Bruce Steventon, who uh, the first time I ever met him uh, was uh, at uh, Mission Barbecue, and uh, my probably eight- or nine-year-old son walked in, and he said those words to my son. And uh, so just it, it, to, to know the Lord, to love him more, to walk in his ways, and to be conformed to the image of his son. I, I would imagine that most of you are here 
because you have that as your desire. So to that end, I hope that this first session can be somewhat of a pep rally. <laughs> You're here for that. Let's keep going. That's, that's the goal. The title of this talk is, is The Law of the Harvest, Playing the Long Game. And in that title, you hear these concepts of, of harvest, something that is to come later after the hard work of tilling and planting and tending the field. You hear the long game, implying that this task of learning the biblical languages is not quick and easy. It takes a while. You can't just pop your Hebrew grammar into the proverbial microwave and get out a tasty treat in a single semester or even in a full academic year of study. It doesn't happen that way. Learning the original languages takes time and effort, and I want to encourage you this afternoon to buckle in for the long haul. <laughs> I thought at this point, I, sorry, I, I practiced my jokes. <laughs> this was the point at which I thought, so we'll be here till probably 8 or 9 o'clock tonight, but that's not what I mean by buckle in for the long haul. <laughs> I mean buckle in for the long haul of learning this language. Devote yourself to it. Know that it's going to take time. Know that that's okay. And keep that main goal of knowing and loving the Lord on the front of your mind the whole time. That's, that's the long game. So again, the law of the harvest is this concept that you look toward the harvest, the end goal, rather than focusing on the challenge and the difficulty of the immediate situation. And, and we all generally know this principle. Uh, I thought of a few examples here. Maybe we mow the lawn because of the, the payoff of how good the yard looks at the end. We've got a goal there, and so we're willing to do the work to see it. We maybe endure years of school for the payoff of the degree that's going to allow us to work in the career that we feel called to. You're putting in the effort because you see the outcome and the end goal and maybe even an actual harvest. You put time into a garden and you're tilling it and watering it and caring for it so that you can see those fresh vegetables on the dinner table. There's all sorts of things in life. We get this principle. There's all sorts of things in life that we do in order to achieve some sort of outcome or some sort of harvest. So this isn't new to us. My, my wife heard this principle stated more clearly, uh, maybe most clearly that we've heard it in a parenting seminar for the Seminary Wives Institute. Uh, so it was in a class related to parenting. And during that class, they were discussing just the challenges of parenting and different seasons of life with the children, different seasons of life for you. And this principle was uh, basically in order to man maintain your sanity in parenting is you had to keep the end goal of the harvest in mind. The, the, parenting, that, uh, the parenting that one does today, it may not pay off until years down the road. And, and you have to be okay with that. Uh, it, may not be, it may not be years down the road until your teenage son's frontal lobe finally develops. But, but the work you do now will have a payoff, and you want to keep your mind on that payoff to keep going through the process. All of the hard work that goes into parenting is only bearable in the moment if you can keep the end goal in mind. And if we have the end goal in mind, then that in and of itself can keep us motivated and moving forward. Now, I realize that the end goal of every parent doesn't always come to fruition, but for us, this was a very helpful thing to keep in mind. In a similar way with the biblical languages, you may find yourself wondering why you're learning yet another paradigm. 
or why that vowel keeps changing in ridiculous ways in Hebrew. What is going on? But the work that you put in now is preparing for you a harvest to come. And you have to look to that harvest, that end goal, in order to make the tedious and difficult work of the moment meaningful. The work in the present has to be done, right? You can't, you can't plant a field and leave it completely alone and then expect something to come out of that. Likewise, you can't have the expectation to know the biblical languages without the tedious work that you're doing now and even day in and day out. It's part of the process and it's okay. So learning the biblical languages is one of those endeavors that requires us to look to that harvest or else we're going to lose steam very quickly. It may be that we get excited about the languages very quickly and very early on, but then because of the difficulty of that task, it makes us want to give up. And I, I don't want our original language study to be like the rocky soil in Mark 4. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who when they hear the word immediately receive it with joy... And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution of weak verbs arise... Oh, sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. We don't want our language study to be that way. You want to dig in and see that fruit come to fruition. I have students every year who ask me in the fall, uh, actually in the summer, as Hebrew 1 is beginning, how can they begin even before the semester starts? What can I be doing over the summer? I'm eager. I'm ready to get, I'm ready to get going. They ask what they can be working on. By the time we get to the winter and the spring semesters, I'm not getting those emails anymore. <laughs> Now, it could be that they just, they've, you know, they've learned how to study and they know what they need to review and they don't need to ask me. That, that could be it. But, you know, largely there's this start strong and then don't keep going idea that, that, that happens here. And the question that I want us to consider today is why that is the case and what can be done to fix it. Why is it, why is it easier to start learning the original language than to keep going? And I read some statistics a few years ago that only 10% of Greek students maintain their Greek after graduation. 10%. Um, do you know what that number is for Hebrew students? <laughs> it, it's 1%. Now, I, I don't remember the date on those statistics, and, and you know, there, there may have been some other things done since then, so I, don't, I, I just want to be honest about that, right? I don't, I don't know exactly the dates on that, but, but 1%. And so I, I want to put that number in a little bit of perspective here for you. Um, I think you guys can see this okay. Um, I went back over my Hebrew 1, 2, and 3 courses over the last uh, four years, all right? And um, th this chart is a little wonky. Don't try to figure it out. Just trust me. Um, basically, the 2020 Hebrew 1 and 2 course feeds into the 2021 Hebrew 3 course. Just trust me. Let's look at these numbers right here. This is going to be a better, better fit, I think. Uh, we start Hebrew 1 with 109. Hebrew 2 starts to decline. Um, the, and then by the time we get to Hebrew 3, we've got the remnant, like legit. <laughs> the remnant, okay? And, I, you know, regardless of that trajectory, what I want you to see in this is that in a four-year period, a four-year period, if those statistics are right, in Hebrew 1, I've got a little over one person who's going to maintain all of that. And by the time we get to Hebrew 3, I've got half of a person. That's problematic in multiple ways, <laughs> 
But that, like, this is, you know, again, there's statistics and there could be some caveats here, but it makes me want to be like, what can I give to you so that you'll keep going? What can I give to you to keep going? And I don't know that I can give you anything today to keep going except to just say, let's do this. Let's keep going. Think of the hours that go into that. Think of the late nights. I had some, some Hebrew 2 students one year that stayed up all night for their final exam. They told me the next morning. Uh, they were affectionately known as the Boker Tov boys. <laughs> Not because of that. That was a different reason. But nonetheless, just the effort that goes into that. And then the question I have is why? Why then is it so hard to, to keep up these languages and what can we do to fix it? So to be sure, there could be a variety of reasons why it is so hard to keep pressing forward. But, but what I want to propose today is that part of the reason we have trouble pressing forward is because we lose sight of that end goal. We get stuck in the moment. We get stuck in the, the, the tedious parsing of verbs or the, the work that goes into reading a, a chapter of Greek, and, 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 and we forget the, the sight of that end goal that we're in the Word of God knowing and loving the Lord more. Now, there's no doubt, there's no doubt that learning the original languages is difficult. Sometimes it's not fun. It's hard work. It can be discouraging. If that's you, don't feel alone. You're probably in a room with about 249 other people who are unwilling to admit it. <laughs> but it can be challenging. Listen, you're in good company, too, by the way. Listen to this. This is Jerome. Anybody, some of you, I probably said Jerome, and you guys know where I'm going with this. This is what he said about Aramaic in his introduction to the book of Daniel. I love this. This is Jerome, by the way. When I was a young man, after working my way through the flowers of eloquence to be plucked from the books of Quintilian and Cicero, <laughs> I opened myself up to the hard labor of learning this language. He's referring to Chaldean Aramaic is what he's referring to. And only after a great deal of time and toil was I able just barely to begin to utter the raspy and hissing sounds. <laughs> Give me a hug, Jerome. <laughs> it was like walking through a dark crypt, glimpsing only the occasional ray of light shining down from above. When I finally threw myself against Daniel, so great a weariness came over me that in sudden despair, I almost, I almost wanted to cast aside all my previous work. I, it sounds like the book of Daniel and the Aramaic language almost made Jerome take the Vulgate and chuck it. There's Jerome. Here's Augustine, in case you want another one. This is from his Confessions. He attributes his childhood hatred of Greek classics to the language itself. I can't just bust on Aramaic here. I've got to give some, some challenge to Greek, too. Okay, so here's Augustine. I sinned. <laughs> That's it. No, I'm going to... I'll, uh, I'll keep reading what he said. I, I was thinking because he started Greek, but that's okay. Um, I sinned. Then, when I was a boy, I preferred, those empty, uh, I preferred those empty to those more profitable studies and rather loved the one and hated the other. One and one, two. Two and two, four. This was to me a hateful sing-song. The wooden horse lined with armed men, and the burning of Troy, and Cariusa's shade and sad similitude were the choice spectacle of my vanity. Why then did I hate the Greek classics, which have the like tales? For Homer also curiously wove the like fictions, and is most sweetly vain, yet was he bitter to my boyish taste. And so I suppose 
Would Virgil be the Grecian children when forced to learn him as I was Homer? Difficulty in truth, the difficulty of a foreign tongue, dashed, as it were, with gall all the sweetness of Grecian fable. So the language itself was what he struggled with. For not one word of it did I understand. And to make me understand, I was urged vehemently with cruel threats and punishments. <laughs> That's our job. So you're, you're in good company. It's hard. It's challenging. But that's okay. In spite of that difficulty and challenge for some, maybe even aversion to the languages, how can we stay motivated and press on to the end goal? And I would argue again that at least part of that strategy is to keep in mind the law of the harvest. We have to set our eyes on the end goal. We have to set our eyes on the end goal, keep it in front of us, and let that end goal motivate us to keep moving forward. Keep moving forward. I want you to know, as I've said, it's an arduous task. It's a difficult task, but that is okay. There's nothing wrong with you because it's difficult. There's nothing wrong with you because uh, it's challenging. There's nothing wrong with you because it's slow. That is okay for it to be slow and challenging. Play the long game. I have students come to me at times every year to have their DTR with Hebrew. <laughs> the DTR, define the relationship. <laughs> you know, the... Well, I, I could make all kinds of funny boys' college jokes about that one, but we'll stop there. They come and have their DTR, and these conversations inevitably begin with something like, I'm just not getting it. I, I can't get this to sink in. And one of my primary goals in that moment is to help them see the things that they are getting and to see the things that, even if they're minor things, they are sinking in. To help a student who's having trouble with, is this a verb or a noun, to, to show them, you know that's an olive. You did learn something, right? It's just slow, and you've got to keep going. They're not seeing the payoff because they're in the moment and trying to help them see you are learning some things. And then I try to convince them that the slowness of learning that language is okay. Now, I want to clarify, uh, I hope, with this, with this table. Oh, it's a little bit big. That is quite all right. Uh, on this side over here, on the left-hand side of this, uh, of this chart, it says timeline. So the black line is a timeline here. And then what I have are three, three goals, three end goals here that I've kind of put on this chart. There could be any number of end goals that you would put on this, this flow chart or diagram, but I've just chosen these three. And you can't quite see the full arrows here, but these arrows, of course, continue on. Uh, down the road. So uh, I want to frame this a little bit. You can see it's not complete. It's not universal. Uh, it's just a way of, of visualizing the timeline of the process of learning languages. And one of the things that I want you to notice here is that we do indeed have multiple goals. There are just a few here. Perhaps others of you have other goals for why you're learning the languages and you would stay, you would, you would add those here. But notice that each of these goals fades in. You see that? I, and I'm not a graphic artist, so I tried to do the best I could, but do you see how the goal fades in? What I want you to see is that the end goal that you want to keep for your, in front of your eyes, it doesn't just happen one day. It's kind of a gradual process as that goal comes into picture, which means you can have that goal in your mind the entire time that it is growing, not that all of a sudden I have this goal in mind and there's going to be a day that it comes. You actually can have that goal in mind. Notice also that those arrows keep going, right, on each of these goals. What I'm trying to convey with those arrows is that the end goal of the harvest of your work 
and study, it doesn't just end someday. It's something that's going to continue to go and, and grow, and as you learn more, you're going to be able to learn more and dig deeper, and it keeps going. It doesn't just stop. Now, uh, the top one there, you, the, the goal to know Hebrew or Greek, you may think that that goal on this timeline has an end. There's going to come a day where I know Greek or I know Hebrew. And I can tell you, I'm here to tell you that the more I learn, the more I realize I don't know with the languages. And, and so that, even that goal doesn't end. You've got to play that long-term trajectory. Notice that the goal of getting course credit toward a degree program is not on this chart. It's quite probable that for most students of our day, their only goal is to pass the original languages so that they can move forward in their degree program, but of course that is neither a goal that will sustain the language study nor is it a goal in and of itself. It's good for you to want to pass your classes, please pass your classes, but if that's the only goal then that pursuit is going to become empty someday. Notice in the diagram how early the goals of mining the riches of Scripture and knowing the Lord can happen. Notice that I've, I've pushed those over a little bit to actually feeling like you know the language. Okay, this is going to be very long maybe before you feel like I know this, I've got some grasp of this, but you can still get those most important goals early on. I have students every semester who will tell me about something that they gleaned during their devotion time that morning, and it's simply because they opened their Hebrew Bible beside of their English Bible and looked at it and said, I have this goal, and wow, and they gleaned something from that. That can happen very early on. So that end goal of knowing God more through his word can happen quite early. Alternatively, notice how long it takes before knowing the language begins to fade in. What I'm trying to communicate there, again, is the aspect of the diagram that the concept of the long game and the law of the harvest. It's, it's going to take a while. In the law of the harvest, we are pursuing the harvest or outcome of the goals. We have learning the original languages in mind there, but the harvest may not come for quite a while. You may have to shift your mindset in language learning from one of instant gratification to one of long and tedious work. And unless you're a, a linguistic savant, which we may have some of those in here, most people are not able to learn Greek or Hebrew in a week, in a semester, or even in an academic year. And again, that is okay. There could be any number of reasons and contributors to the idea that we, that we have to learn the language quickly. If you, I don't know if I, I've thought about this a little bit. Like, why do people feel like I need to get it so quickly? Like, why, what, is, what is built into that? And I, I was reading an article um, that, that kind of said one of the possible contributing factors to this is that many seminaries and Bible colleges have limited their programs to two, two semesters or one academic year. This is the required course of study. And, and in that, I don't think they're intentionally doing this, but in that there's kind of the perception that that's enough that that's sufficient. And so students leave a year and they feel like they don't know what, the, you know, they don't know exactly what they're doing and they think they should know what they're doing. And what I want you to hear is, no, that's not the case. It may be a very long time before you feel like you know what you're doing. This truly is a lifelong pursuit and that is okay. So what kind of goals should we pursue? Okay, so we've got, we want the harvest, we want the end goal in mind, we want to keep it in mind, but what kind of goals 
should we pursue? Learning the language in and of itself, that top tier there, that's valid, but it really is only pragmatic. It is a good goal. You certainly want to learn the language. That's why you began in the first place. But that goal in and of itself might lead to arrogance and, and academic hubris. Another aspect of the law of harvest is consider here what is better or best as far as our goals. And I would argue here, as I have before, that the goals in the diagram here of mining the riches of Scripture and knowing the Lord through his word should be primary. The point that I want to emphasize right here is that it's not only a matter of having your end goal in mind for the harvest, it's a, the matter of having the right or the best end goal in mind so that you'll keep going. We always want to devote our time and effort, uh, sorry, we will always devote our time and effort to those things that we want to do. Those things that we want to accomplish is what we're going to devote our time to. Many of you may be uh, another way to say this would be we, we will always do what we most want to do. And you might be hearing a little bit of Jonathan Edwards in that. Um, I've got a fun illustration that we could, let me do this quickly. You go to an ice cream shop, you might think, no way, I, can, I don't want to do that and I can decide to do it. Um, but there's another motivator somewhere in there. You go to an ice cream shop, they sell chocolate and vanilla. Just go with me here. You go in, you want some Vanilla, because that's your favorite. So you go in and you choose vanilla because that's your favorite. You just did what you wanted to do. I come to you the next day and I say to you, I bet you cannot choose contrary to your greatest desire. And you're like, well, I love vanilla. Watch this. You go in and you buy a chocolate. And you're like, take that. And then I would point out to you that, no, in that moment, your greatest desire was to prove me wrong. Not, you, you still are acting according to your greatest desire. And so we are going to devote ourselves to those things that we want to do. And the question for language learning is, is our end goal a sufficient motivator? Is that end goal something that we want so bad to know and love the Lord that it's going to keep us moving forward? And so I would argue that the goals of mining the depths of Scripture and knowing God should be our highest aim. You can't just have a goal to keep in mind. I think you have to have the, the right goal. Now, I want to give you a couple of examples of this. I think I've got these on slides, too. And if these get, yeah, these got a little extended out uh, as well. So I apologize that you can't see this. A little shout out to the, uh, to the Bible Ark folks back there. Um, this, is from, uh, this is from Bible Ark. This is some of my work from Bible Ark. If you judge it, I will know it. I can feel, I can sense that. You're judging me right now. I know this already. Um, but uh, Bible Ark is one of the, the tools that I have found to, to mine the depths of Scripture the best. It, it helps me so, so much. And, uh, and I, wanted to, I, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but I wanted to show you a couple of things. Um, and and by, by knowing the original language, look at some of these patterns that you can start to pull out that you can start to see. You see all these ifs that are lined up here. Do you see that? And, and it's, it, it just gives you, a, you guys, you know this, if you've been in the, the languages exegetically, but you start to mine the depths of Scripture. It's not, just, it's not just cursory reading through. You're digging in. You're asking, how is this related to this? How is, uh, how is this clause related? What kind of clause is this? And you're getting more and more and more out of the Word of God besides just a cursory reading. Look at this one. We have um, said before, I think this is in Greek for life and Hebrew for life, but the ability to, uh, with the original languages, you, you kind of 
glean the ability to know what's behind an English translation. And it, and it gives you some insight there as you mine the depths of Scripture. But look at, look at this form right here. I've, I've lined this up according to the ESV. Uh, anybody work for the ESV in here? Okay, good. Um, I've lined this up according to the ESV. And, and I want you to look at what, what happens here, if I, can, if I can see it. I can't see it. Okay, look at this. Look at this infinitive right here. I think uh, they're understand I'm understanding this as, a, as an epexegetical infinitive. Understanding will guard you by delivering you. Okay, good. The, the understanding you glean from a fear of the Lord, from wisdom, that understanding is going to guard you, and it's going to guard you from this way of the evil, just abject stupidity. And then look at this right here. So you will be delivered. But look at that form. That's identical to that form. And, and so my, what I want to point out is I don't think that this is a purpose, purpose clause here. It becomes another one of these infinitives saying that wisdom and understanding and the fear of the Lord is going to guard you from abject stupidity, and it's going to guard you from this forbid, forbidden woman of any futility and any, uh, uh, any folly that you might encounter in your life. You get kind of two things there. So uh, just one example there, and there's all kinds of things I could do here that, that just really get me excited uh, as you dig in, but the original languages give you that possibility, give you that option, don't read that yet, and, and it gives you a tool set to be able to dig deeply into God's Word, and that, that, I think, should be a primary motivation. I've heard John Piper use the illustration before of digging for gold in Scripture rather than raking for leaves, Digging for gold rather than raking for leaves. And I, I, uh, I oftentimes have this picture in my mind as I think about digging. I, uh, I don't know which of the Lord of the Rings movies it was, but you probably can envision what I'm thinking of here where they're all in a dark cave and they might be walking along and then all of a sudden you hear the, the chink of some coins or something that someone kicked or stepped on. And then there's this huge cave and they light the lights and they see the treasure that they actually have. And it's almost like the original languages allow you to illumine the treasure that is actually there. And then I think here, even further with the original languages, is it's not a matter of just illumining the treasure that is there, but it's a matter of you go digging into the treasure and you find a treasure box that has another treasure in it. And it's this unfolding of treasures in the Word of God that can be a motivator for us to keep going, those treasure chests that we find. Now, it, it's not a treasure chest for the sake of the treasure chest. It's not a treasure chest for the sake of standing up in front of people and saying that, here's what I found, look what I found. It, it's the treasure chest of knowing God's Word, that you see those things come to life. And so that's a good motivator to have on your mind. Second thing that I would want to mention here is, is the, the motivation of knowing and loving God more through the original languages. Uh, this, this verse is one of my favorites. This is Deuteronomy 6, 5. Uh, this is actually 4 and 5. Uh, sorry, Greek students. <laughs> I'm just assuming you don't know that. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5, and we get here, Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. Ve'ahavta, there it is, and you shall love, right? So loving the Lord more through his word. You shall love et Adonai Elohecha, vechol levavcha, u vechol nafshecha, 
And here it is. Um, maybe you could translate this a little differently. Uh, you got with all your might, right? But but the word is very, meod, and and like put that in English. I don't know your veriness. <laughs> There's a new word for you. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your veriness. And might works. Might works in an English word, but there's so much more there that the Lord is calling us to love him through his word. And then here's the New Testament. Oh, this one didn't quite come over all the way. Um, <laughs> I, I feel confident enough in myself to tell you this. Uh, I had this on the screen in Greek in first, at first, and I got really nervous that I wouldn't be able to know what to do with it. <laughs> When I got up here, though, when I was preparing, I was like, yeah, 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 you know, and reading it, just so, but it's in English. <laughs> All right. The depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. You guys, you know this passage, that just the, the depths of the knowledge of God that we can have in Scripture to mine those depths. And then when we mine those depths, our hearts exclaim with Paul, oh, how amazing that God is. And our love grows, right? So uh, mining the depths of Scripture, mining the depths of Scripture and knowing and loving the Lord, I would argue, should be our primary goals. And as I said at the beginning, I think that's probably the case for, for most of you. I've got this little uh, slide. I, I want to, again, just point out here how early in the process these goals happen of mining the riches of Scripture and knowing the Lord. Um, some of you may be familiar with this. This is a nice little paradigm of the preposition "eem" with the pronominal suffixes on it. I was teaching this one semester. I don't know uh, why I don't do this every semester because I, I forget. But I was teaching this one semester, and I was just going down through here, pointing out little pieces and elements of it and showing various things. You know, look at this pattern, look at this, look at this. And then I went back to right here. And I did this on the board. It wasn't that fancy. <laughs> but, but, and I asked the student, I said, somebody read that for me. And the student said, Emmanuel. And the entire class just went, oh. <laughs> and I was like, yes. <laughs> and I, it, it was off the cuff. I didn't have that plan. I, I'm not that cool. But like it, something as simple as a paradigm, that, that, that what they know of God in the English Bibles, you put it into Hebrew and it has some way, you put it into the original languages even, and it has some way of warming their hearts to the God who is with us in Christ. And so, so that can happen very early. I would encourage you to look for it. I would encourage you to keep that on the front of your brain. So why then do we lose sight of that goal? What's, what are some reasons? I want to give you one. There probably could be many of these, but I've got at least one here. This is the effect syndrome. It's what I call the effect syndrome. And what I have in mind here is that so many things in our culture are trending toward wanting the effect or the outcome without committing to the arduous task to get there. It's kind of this give it to me now type of mentality that our culture is trending toward. People want AI to write their papers and do their research. 
our, our ease of life mentality is, I think, in some sense, killing this desire to keep up with the biblical languages. Technology is designed to make things easier, faster. Everything is marketed to us as fast. Tylenol is faster. Calculators divide faster. Bible software parses faster. Internet speeds are getting faster. Microwaves cook faster. All of this, and we have lost that grueling, grinding, blood, sweat, and tears tenacity and patience that I believe is needed in order to to keep moving forward. Rob and I both agree that a good deal of language work can be accomplished by developing a habit of doing the hard work of the languages, and I believe that's going to be a large part of his plenary later in the weekend. In 1914, 1914, William James wrote in his book called Habit, just as if we let our emotions evaporate, they get into a way of evaporating. So there is reason to suppose that if we often flinch from making an effort, before we know it, the effort-making capacity will be gone. Keep the faculty of effort alive in you by a little gratuitous exercise every day. That was in 1914. Imagine what that effort is like now. It's hard to keep that effort up, and yet I think that that grueling work is what we need be any number of reasons, but I think that is one of them. And so then how do we press on then? How do we press on toward that harvest? How do we press on toward that goal? I was looking back at some notes from a couple years ago. It's actually been four years ago now. And I had uh, created a little bit of like how-tos under the the, uh, understanding or the idea of Jonathan Edwards' resolutions. So resolved to resolved to. How are we going to combat this? Let's resolve to do this. And, and two of these, I think, are particularly appropriate for this topic of the harvest. But the first one is this, resolved to combat the flow of culture toward ease and to embrace and enjoy the long-term challenge of learning Hebrew or Greek. To combat that flow. We mentioned earlier that our culture's moving that way, more pragmatic speed rather than embracing the slow journey. And, I, you know, to be fair, I think it's helpful to have things move faster. But when it comes to something like this, the hard work and tenacity is needed. I played, uh, I played football in college, um, <laughs> in case you didn't know that. I, I, I know it doesn't look like it now, but it's okay. Um, my wife still loved me. Um, I played football in college. And one of the things that I, that I think about here in this, as an illustration is that we... Um, we did these drills uh, at 6 a.m. in the morning, two weeks before spring practice. They were called cage drills. Cage drills. And it was basically a series of drills that literally were just designed to beat the snot out of us. Um, and after those drills were over, after those drills were over, as in on the day they were over, not at the end of the two weeks, each day after those drills were over and we were all spent and whooped, um, we would wrestle. The coach would put us on the ground, and we would wrestle. It was my first spring practice out, and uh, one of our senior offensive linemen jumps down on the ground. And the way we would wrestle is one person would get on the ground, and the other person would make like a T, and you'd be chest to chest. So you're kind of on the ground like this, chest to chest. The guy on the bottom had to get up, and the guy on the top had to keep him down. So it wasn't, you know, like organized wrestling. It was more just looking awkward in the gym. But our, one of our senior offensive linemen jumped down on the ground. And, and in a moment of panic stupidity, I jumped on top of him. 
Well, this guy was like 6'5", 300 pounds, and literally, I kid you not, could bench press 575 pounds. I watched him do it. The bar was bending. I thought it was going to break. And I jumped on top of this guy thinking, I'm the new guy. Let's do this. <laughs> All right? And, uh, you know, I could, I could go on about the story. I was able to hold him down. I, 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 uh, I, I locked a, an arm underneath his neck before we started. That was more just to keep my forearm out of his schnoz. I locked my arm under there and he, blow the whistle. Here we go. I grabbed onto my arms and I'm holding him down for 20 to 30 of the longest seconds of my life. Okay. And, and I got done and I had nothing left. I had nothing left either way. Well, then we had to switch. <laughs> so for the next 20 to 30 seconds of my life, I couldn't breathe. <laughs> due to exhaustion and due to a 300-pounder laying on top of my chest. And I, I, I thought about it over the years. I'm like, Why, what was the coach doing? We just did these drills. Our heart rates are racing. We're spent. We're, you got the job accomplished, man. What are you doing? And it dawned on me that the wrestling was teaching us to fight even when you're exhausted. To keep fighting, to keep pressing, to keep the tenacity moving forward, even though you're exhausted and you think you have nothing left to give, keep moving forward. And, you know, in light of a funny story, what we did was we, we practiced the fight. We practiced the the grueling, arduous task of continuing to move forward. And I would argue that in language learning, because of its difficulty, we want to do the same thing. What I want us to resolve today is that we will not look for the easy way out, but want us to resolve that we will make the original language as part of our long-term grind of becoming more and more like Christ. So let us resolve together not to give in to the microwave culture of our day, the second resolution here that I have is resolved to indulge not only in the outcome of knowing the languages, but also in the journey of learning the languages. Andrew Peterson wrote a song called Little Boy Heart Alive, and there's one line in here that just catches my attention every time. He's kind of this painting this picture of a boy traipsing through the woods, encountering, uh, encountering dragons, encountering challenges, encountering things, but he says, that, he says this, come to the Father. Come to the deeper well, drink of the water, and come to live a tale to tell. Pages are turning now. This is abundant life. The joy in the journey is enough to make a grown man cry. And, and I, I, he's not writing this song about the original languages. If he did, he would be crying. <laughs> but the line helps me to think of no matter how challenging it gets, with this goal of knowing and loving the Lord and with this goal of mining the depths of Scripture, I would invite you to come to the Father, to come to the deeper well as you're pursuing the languages, to drink of the water that He gives, and then live to tell the tale of how joyous the original languages are in your life. There can be joy in that journey. We have to keep the end goal on the front of our mind, we have to look to that end goal so that we'll be motivated to keep going. And I can promise you that the pursuit is worth it. So look to the law of the harvest. Play the long game. Don't look for it to be simple. Keep pressing on and love the Lord in the midst of all of it.